Welcome to Living Waters Podcast. Whether you're a lifelong believer, someone seeking spiritual nourishment, or simply curious about the teachings of Christ, this podcast is for you. Thank you for listening and being part of our family. Morning, family. It's good to be at church today. It's always good to be at church, isn't it? Um, I have the privilege of doing Luke 13. We've been busy with a series um, from Luke 1 um, up until Luke 12, and we have Luke 13 today that we're going to do. And and this is a series that I'm very excited about, that I'm very passionate about, not because Luke is my favorite book, um, but because we're going through the Word as it is. There, There is safety in going through the Word just as it is. There is safety in, in, in trusting that what God said is good enough, that we don't need to manipulate it, that we don't need to change it, that what the foundation that Jesus has set for us as a church is going to keep on supporting us as a church. And, and, it, and it's trusting in God that enables us to say, you know what, we're going to preach the word as it is. Because it is a distrust in who God says he is that causes us to start manipulating the word. Because what he gave us isn't good enough. Because what he gave us is something that we feel we can't trust. But it takes faith to say, Lord, we are going to take your word as it is. We're going, to, we're going to accept you in our church. We're going to have you here in our church. We're going to love you here in your church as you are. We're not going to change you. We're not going to paint a different picture of who you are. We're just going to take you as you are and take your word as you are, as it is. Luke 13, from verse 1. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans who, whose blood palate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should we, why should it use up soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the store and lead it to give it water? Then should not this woman... A daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. 
Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and we taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are, those who are last will be first and first will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox. I will keep on driving our demons and healing the people today and tomorrow. And on, that, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who you kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hand gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for giving us your word. We thank you that it is trustworthy. Give us the strength. Give us the courage to take it as it is, to give it the honor that it deserves, and to let it guide us and lead us, not only as individuals, but as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the, the, the more we look at Jesus' ministry, the more we realize that in the way that he's preaching his message, there's an urgency that is becoming bigger and bigger. That the way that he's teaching the message that he is giving is changing the longer that the mission is carrying on. The closer he is to his day, to the day of his crucifixion, the, the, the more urgent his message sounds. There is an urgency into the way that Jesus and his disciples are now preaching the message. And the people around him seem to understand that as well. We can see it in their responses. We can see it in the questions that they're asking, that there is an urgency that they understand and that they can pick up from God's message and from, from Jesus' voice as well. We know that repentance is at the heart of Jesus' message. Jesus rebuked his contemporaries for their failure to respond to his preaching. 
This is a message that, that, that needed or that required a response. This is not something that was preached and made them feel good and then walk away and do anything that they wanted to. This required a response. This required someone to change their life. This required a decision to be made. This required repentance. And Jesus and his disciples made it very clear that we are now on a road that is split and you have to make a decision and you have to make it very quickly. There is a decision that needs to be made. There is an urgency. Now let's paint a picture of what's happening here. In verse 1, it says, Now there were some people present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans who, whose blood pellet um, had mixed with their, with their sacrifice. I don't know what it is, if, if it's just written, if his name is just written like that and doesn't come with Pontius, I pronounce it differently, Pontius Pilate. Um, that's how it should be pronounced, but without the Pontius, I, I mess it up. <laughs> but have you ever walked into a room and you could tell that it was tense. Now, you, you've walked in there and, 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 and you are all jolly. Maybe you have some good news. Or maybe you just came back from work. Maybe you had a, a, a tiring day as well. But you walk into a room and everyone's kept quiet. You didn't hear what was happening, but you can tell something was going down before I got into this room. You can feel the tension in the room. That's how I felt when, when I read the first verse there. I was like, something happened here that I am not aware of. There is blood here that wasn't in chapter 12 that I know nothing about. So I had to find out what are they talking about here because it isn't mentioned. And this, this is exactly the feeling. I'm like, there is some tension here. That There's a story that they're telling Jesus. This is serious stuff, blood mixed with sacrifices, and it's mentioned nowhere else. I'm like, what did we miss? That, that something changed in the room, and I feel like I'm the only one left out. That's how, I, that's how I found it. I went back to chapter 12, and I read everything. I'm like, yes, there's an intensity, but something shifted here. There's a story that I'm missing. And, and, and here, it, it seems like it, but fortunately, there were other historians as well. One of them is Josephus, who was, keep, was keeping record of what was happening, especially with the Jewish culture of the time. So enter Josephus, not a person that is mentioned in the Bible, but he was an his, a historian. Right, so he did write about parts of Jesus' life as well. So his works do include Jesus' life. His work does include um, John the Baptist as well. But then he also speaks of this event that we are not told about in the Bible here. So we're setting the scene now. So here's what's happening. From what we have here and from Joseph's story that we have um, in a different um, book, we can see that, number one, um, there were people that were gathered in a place because they were giving sacrifices, yeah? Uh, number two, these people were not in Galilee because the... the, the the order for them to be slaughtered was given by Pontius Pilate, and he did not have jurisdiction in Galilee. So they were somewhere else. So this leads us to conclude, all right, they are probably in a place where Pontius Pilate has jurisdiction. They were probably there because there was a festival, and that festival required them to be in a temple giving sacrifices. Right. And this matches what, um, what Josephus says as well. Um, he wrote the Jewish War, um, and he wrote some, some, of the, some of the history there as well. Um, he, was a he led the Galilean forces um, that opposed Rome for two years. So, so a, a, a good guy. A good guy. Um, some of his writings mention um, some other things that happened as well, but, but this specific story is what I was interested in. 
So they were not in under Pilate's jurisdiction. They were sacrificing. They were visiting um, there probably for a festival, and then they were killed in the temple. So this introduces a different part of Pontius Pilate that we didn't know because um, a lot of the parts that we read about about him is, is when he was now given into the, Jesus was given into the hands of Pontius Pilate and he washed his hands off him there. But now we, we get to see a little bit of what kind of a leader he was as well. But that's, that's, that's besides the story. This is describing a very vivid, um, it's a very vivid uh, description of violence that, laid, um, that was laid on a specific group. Terrible, terrible thing that happened. But Jesus noticed something that he felt he wanted to address. And this we see in the following verses. He answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then Jesus, um, th this description, is a, this principle is a little bit more general because now he brings in other events that has happened as well. He speaks of a building that fell probably because of poor construction and there were 18 people that died under that building as well. And he asked the question, do you think that because they suffered this way, it was because they were worse sinners than you are? So he's picking up something in the way that they are either asking him the questions or in the way that they are telling him the story about what's happening in the Galileans. So this is a broader thing that Jesus wants to cover here that has to do with the Galileans, but he's realizing a heart issue or something that they believe that is much wider than what just happened here. The principle Jesus speaks of in verse 5 as well, he speaks of other tragedies, tra tragedies as well. The specific focus on the Galileans here, however, may reflect that there is something that the people that are telling this story believe about the Galileans as well, and they believe that the Galileans had it coming to them. So the people that are telling the story believe that these Galileans, who at the time, if you look at it historically, um, they looked at them as well as people that were potential rebels. Um, we, we spoke of the story about Josephus as well, who was, um, again, leading the charge, who was going against Rome for two years as well. So, so here, these Galileans are, are, are looked at as potential rebels, so that they might have done something, they might have not done something, but there is a way that society sees them here. And in the way that they are telling the story, Jesus is picking up, whoa, whoa, whoa. You believe that they are suffering because they are worse sinners? And then he gives an answer. He's like, this is not so. And then he brings in other things. There are people that died in a building as well. Is, is it because those 18 people were worse sinners than, than you are? You survived because you are not as bad as them? And then he brings in another story as well. He's like, do you believe that they are suffering because they are worse sinners than you are? Do you think you are spared because you are better than them? So this is what Jesus is going against you. And this is not the first time this comes up. We see it with Job as well. His friends ask the same question of, Job, what did you do to deserve this? And Job sometimes asks the question as well, what have I done to deserve this? So we can see that this is something that comes up, that pokes its head up every now and then in the Bible. If you look at John verse 9, John chapter 9, as well, there, there's a woman who was born blind. And the disciples themselves ask Jesus, what did she do to deserve to be born blind? 
And then Jesus again has to, to speak against the same issue over and over again. What did, and they go to the point of asking him, all right, if she didn't do anything, what did the parents do so that their child is born like this? And just like, it is nothing that this person did. It has nothing to do with the individual sin of that person. So this is something very serious that Jesus is speaking against here. Now, the other things, if, if, you, if you drink yourself and you, and you can't really walk and, and, and you want to drive after that as well, um, there's... There's a cause to, to, to the issue that you have there. But we're talking about the random nature of, of bad things happening to people here. That, that's what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about being stupid and then, uh, and then getting arrested, right? Um, you did something there. We're talking about the random nature of tragedies here. Um, that's what we're talking about here. Um, if you, if you want to know what, what you've done after you get a ticket for speeding, I'm pretty sure a five-year-old can tell you why you got the ticket. All right, <laughs> all right. We're talking about the random nature of things here. So there's a there's a popular tendency in the event of an accident to ask what the injured party did, and this has to be resisted. We cannot go in that direction. An accident is an accident. Yes, there are the questions of of the sovereignty of God, um, the will of God, and stuff like that. But that's something for another day that Pastor Hein has also spoken about um, in past sermons as well. So you can find it on YouTube. As a, but that's not the point here. The point here is an, if an accident has happened, or if, if if something has come upon a person, it is not for us to first assume that they did something wrong. It is not for us to assume that there was an individual sin that was building up and then at some point manifested itself as, as cancer, or it was building up and at some point manifested itself as a, as, a, as a fire or a building or something like that. This is something that Jesus was harsh speaking against. We cannot, we cannot think in those terms. Now, uh, this is not to make light of sin. We're not saying you can do whatever you want and nothing will happen. This is, this is not what we're saying. Because in the same book, in, in, in the same um, um, scripture, in the, in the same um, book of Luke as well, it speaks of, um, it teaches that all are equally sinful and deserve God's judgment. This is what we've picked up over and over again, that there is a problem that needs to be sorted. And that problem is sin. And the only way to fix the problem of sin is through repentance. All right, so, so there is an issue here. We're not making light of sin. It, it, Jesus speaks of even judgment for sin as well. That's not something that we shy away from in the church. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. All right? And we need to, we need to get out of it. We need to get out of it. Um, so we're not making light of sin, saying you can do whatever you want and there's no judgment. It, it, it's all good. Jesus paid for it. We're saying here that the first inclination if there's an accident is not what sin did they commit to deserve such a thing. And I know a lot of people don't think in those terms. But it's a different story when something out of the blue catches you off guard. That is more difficult to combat. If a problem happens or something persistent keeps coming over and over again, a problem at work that, that is just not getting sorted out and it's directed at you, or if you are the one getting sick over and over again, it is more difficult to not think, what have I done? To deserve this. Right? This is, a lot of us don't think in terms of something happens to a brother, thank God in the church, that we, we hop in and help. We hop in and help because that is the nature of the church. So it's not something that we, we are too concerned about that is happening in the church. But I know how difficult it is to be in a trial and not to think, what have I done 
Why me? That is a different story. That is more difficult. But Jesus says, it's not that. You are not worse off than the next person. You're not a worse sinner because you are going through suffering. You are not um, any less of a Christian because you are suffering. And I know that there are some churches that teach that. The closer you go, you walk with Christ, the, the, less you are going to, the less suffering you're going to experience. And that's heresy. That's heresy. Jesus himself in John said that you will face trials. You will face trials. And then he gave a prescription as well for that. But this is a difficult thing. And we also have to train ourselves when you're in a situation to think, why me? Why always me? So it goes a little bit deeper than seeing a hurricane happen in, in, in somewhere outside of our country and thinking, yeah, well, they have that hotel that, that we know what's happening there, or they have those politicians that are always doing that. You see, that, that, that's something else that we, that we shouldn't be doing. But the more difficult thing is when you are the one that's going through the suffering. And Father, I pray that we do not fall into that trap of believing that suffering means that we are less of a child of God. I pray for everyone that's going through a trial, that's going through suffering. I pray that may never get to a point where they're desolate because they believe that they are worse off than the next person who maybe they think is not going through trials. I pray that you might pull us out of that pit of thinking, why me? Pull us out of that pit of thinking, why always me? Pull us out of that pit of thinking, what did I do to deserve this? Help us to see trials just as what they are. Help us to see accidents just as what they are. Help us to see the situations like you see them as well. See, the random nature of loss and tragedy is not as a result of personal sin. They are a result of sin as a whole and the fallen state of humanity and of all creation. So the reason we are struggling is because, yes, there is sin in the world. But I want you to get away from trying to figure out what you've done wrong to deserve what has happened. The reason there is suffering is because of sin universally. The reason there are, there are tears in this world is because of sin universally. But I pray that we don't get into a place where, where we think it's a personal thing that we did that has brought this upon ourselves. The only solution to the sin problem is repentance. And Jesus was making that very clear. And then we go into chapter 13, verse 22. We're reminded here again of the fact that Jesus is actually on his way somewhere, right? He's on his way to Jerusalem. Um, and this is brought back to our attention again, that he's going to a destination, and it, the, the focus is made clear. I mean, he looks ahead, and he knows exactly what is going to happen, because he, he even tells them, I know exactly how you treated the prophets that have come before me. You guys killed them. But that's where I'm going. And then you see a couple of stories here and there where they try to warn him. And like, listen, you are going into this man's jurisdiction in the place where people like you go to die and just like yeah 
Let's go. And in another book, one of his disciples was like, listen, you know what's going to happen when we go there, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. You know. And then Thomas is like, right, we're going with you then. If we, if we too have to die, then, then we die. What bravery from Thomas. So he knows exactly what's going to happen. So let's paint another, pre- uh, another picture here. The Jewish at the time, um, their expectation of a, of a, a messiah banquet comes from Scripture, ultimately from Isaiah 25. In the vision, Isaiah sees a tree that, that is, that, that is be- basically growing. Um, tree is a bit of an exaggeration. When, when they speak of um, the, ex- the exact plant that is there, the best you can get from that plant is about two meters, um, and then, and then it's, it's, it's done for life. But, but that's, uh, he is trying to show a heart issue, that it, a heart thing that is happening. He's trying to make a point. So he uses the word tree um, even for, for this plant that we're looking at here. So in, verse, in chapter 25 of Isaiah, Isaiah sees this vision of this tree that is growing, and all nations are gathered underneath that tree. Right. Um, and so the Jewish at the, in the first century, um, they look at now we know that what, what's happening here. We know today that God is calling all nations unto himself, Gentile, Jew, anyone um, from Africa, from Europe. What it doesn't matter. He wants them where he is. So, so we know that is what um, the vision means. But in the first century, um, they could have thought uh, possibly that God is calling the Jews from everywhere else into into one place. So that's how they saw um, what is happening here. And from that stems the questions that are being asked as well. And now these are questions that are being asked in the Bible. Um, here we've read through them. I'm going to cover them again. But these are Bibles that are, these are questions that are still being asked um, today as well. These, these are things that, are, that some preachers are preaching as well, which Jesus already spoke against. So I don't understand why. We, anyway, yeah. Um, but here they assume, all right, God is calling all these people that, that are chosen. And at the time, it's the Jewish nation that, the, that was chosen, that is called to be holy, that is called to represent God. And so they interpret that vision as, all right, he's calling all um, of the chosen people from everywhere that they are into one place. Um, in verse 22 to 27, you can clearly see with the question that is being asked that there is a belief that only a select few will be allowed into the kingdom of God. And that the Gentiles, so the, the belief then, is that the Gentiles that will be allowed in will be because um, there's a Jew that explicitly denied the faith, so they will go out of the kingdom of God, and then there will be space made for a Gentile to be able to go in. So what they're believing is that there is a specific number of people that are going to be saved, and it's only if a Jewish person denies their faith that space can be made for a Gentile. To, to come into the kingdom of God. So this is why the question is asked here, are there only going to be a few people that can be saved? Right. So, so this is a, a genuine question because this is what they're seeing. What could have prompted the question? Jesus' ministry is growing. So remember, Jesus spoke of the, of, of, of the kingdom of God as, as yeast. Right. But he... Jesus loves using exaggeration. So if you see numbers, if Jesus ever uses numbers, go back and check what's happening there. So he speaks of yeast, um, and he speaks of um, 60, I forgot what the, what the unit is. But, but if you check the unit of what he said you're putting in the, the yeast in there, that could feed not a household, but a whole village. So that's, that's big bread. All right. That's big bread that Jesus is talking about. But he's trying to make sure that you understand that the kingdom of God is going to spread very 
quickly. And then he speaks of a mustard seed as well. He says, do you see how small the seed is? Do you see how big of a tree it becomes after that? This is what the kingdom of God is going to be like as well. So like, all right, we're starting off with 12, with just Jesus. And then it's 12 people and then 75 people. And Jesus is saying, this is going to be a big thing that is happening. He's casting vision of what they're doing at the moment there. And then the guy's like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought there was only a few people that are going to be saved. What you are doing sounds like it's much bigger than that. How does that fit into the picture? So he says, hey, are there only going to be a few people saved? Um, do you think there are so many Jews that are going to deny their faith so that that space can be made for, for, for Gentiles? Is this what's happening here? And this is basically the question that is being asked. Right. And then we see, again, um, this is not something that just finished when, when, when Jesus sort of gave the answer here. This is something that continues into Luke's um, second volume, the book of Acts as well. There are major arguments about this in the book of Acts as well and how to fulfill the kingdom of God there. Are, are we just going to preach to the Jews or are we actually going to preach to everyone? And when they come in, are they going to do as we do or are they allowed to do anything? So there are major arguments there to the point where at some point the disciples decide, you know what, um, the apostle decide, you know what, you go preach there and I will preach on the other side of the world, because whenever we're together, we can't get along. But don't make it more difficult than it needs to be for these people to come to God. Right? This is what you must preach, and this is what you must preach as well. So there is still major issues about this question that the early church is having as well. And we're going to get into another response that Paul has um, towards the end of the message here. Everything that I've just told you about what they believe at the time isn't Biblical, right? There isn't a, 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 a finite number of people that can be saved and people need to make space for other people. No, it isn't like that. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever will believe will be saved. Whosoever will believe will be saved. And it's only through Jesus that you're going to make it into the kingdom of God here. So within all of these things, um, if, if we're looking at um, the, the, the scope of the gospel here, we, we see one thing, it's universal appeal. So now that Jesus is preaching the message to, to, to everybody here is not met by universal response. So not everyone is coming back to, 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 to repent. There are some major things that, that are the issue here. So even people that seem like they want to follow Jesus have real questions. And they ask those questions. And Jesus is like, no, this is, they're not worse off sinners than you. Or, no, 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 this is how we get into the kingdom of God. And, and this is what the kingdom of God is going to be like. It's going to be something that's going to continue to grow and continue to grow. And, and, and so Jesus is painting a picture of what all of this is going to look like and trampling over a lot of things that they believe as well. And secondly, um, there are those who regard themselves. And unfortunately, this is what um, is shown in, in, in Luke 13 as God's people who are deceiving themselves. And this is what Jesus also points out, is that complacency is the enemy of salvation. And Jesus is putting it out there point blank. You can't just relax because you are a Jew. You can't just relax because you are the chosen nation. And then he gives the, he gives the, the, the parable of the fig tree where he says, look, this has been three years. It's been years, and I keep coming back, and there's no figs here. 
I want to cut it down. And God's like, no, no, give it, give it more time. Give it more time. So God is requiring fruits of salvation. God is requiring a walk with him. And then you carry on reading, and Jesus makes it more clearer, and he says, there is a relationship that needs to be had here. Yes, I was, you, I was teaching in your streets. Yes, you ate and drank with me. That's, that's great, but I don't know you. I don't know you. Yes, you were serving here and you were doing that. Yes, you helped that person and you did that. But, but, but there wasn't a relationship here. He doesn't deny the fact that there were actions. The problem is there wasn't relationship. The problem was complacency. I'm chosen, so, so it's done. I don't need to bear fruit anymore because I'm chosen. So he was speaking against that complacency here. There needs to be a continuous relationship. And from that relationship, there needs, there needs to be fruit. From the relationship that you are having with Jesus, we need to see fruit. Or rather, he needs to see fruit. There's a whole book in John where Jesus speaks of fruit and how harshly he speaks from a relationship that is barren, where there's nothing happening. And this is not to, to say, all right, if you haven't prayed in the past week, there's, there's a problem here. Um, what we're saying is, hey, let's get back up here. Let's stop being complacent. This is just, a, hey, let, let, let's, let, let's, let's fix our relationship with Jesus here. Let's not just assume because um, everything is dandy and you, you were saved 20 years ago, that, that, that let's not take it for granted. Let's not take salvation for granted. You ever been in a relationship? I'm going to spill something. My wife wasn't my first relationship. <laughs> but you ever been in a relationship where, where you can tell you're being taken for granted? Where, 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 where you can tell you're, you're doing things, but there's... Huh? You can tell you, you're, not, you're not anything in that relationship there. This is what Jesus is trying to speak about you can ask anyone here who is married that even after marriage, you work even more. If you made one cup of coffee a week, now you've got to make it every morning. <laughs> I don't stop taking care of my body because I'm married now. I don't let myself go because I'm married now. I still need to take care of myself. That woman still needs to be attracted to me. <laughs> so I need to take care of myself. I need to continue working on the relationship. And that's what God is talking about here. There needs to be a relationship here. There needs to be something that, that carries on. There needs, yes, to be action, but we need to work on the relational part as well. He's like, yeah, you were doing things, but I, I don't know you. In a different book, he speaks specifically of, yeah, I saw you prophesied and, and you healed the sick and you cast out demons and I saw you do all of that, but I don't know you. There was a relationship aspect that was missing here. And that's what Jesus was combating here. The kingdom of God reverses human expectation. In this case, it was with regards of who are insiders and who are outsiders. See, the inclusion of Gentiles into the kingdom of God means that the whole concept of the chosen people needed to be re-examined. The fact that God himself was saying, all right, it's, it's not just you as a chosen nation anymore. We're going to preach to the Gentiles to come into the kingdom of God means that this whole thing needed to be re-examined at the time. 
And this was an even bigger issue than we think. Um, like I said in, in Luke's gospel, that the disciples, the apostles were struggling with this thing as well. Uh, are we going to preach? Are we going to include them as well? So this was a big, big deal. This was a big deal. And then we see in Galatians 3, I was tempted to start reading from, from, from verse 1 and read through the whole thing because Paul is saying some harsh things, some beautiful things here that sort of bring you up again. And he starts in verse 1 by saying, who bewitched you? You guys started off in the spirit, but look at you now. So that's, that's how this starts. That's how upset Paul was about this issue here. But in verse 26, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither free nor slave, nor is the male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So here we see that the Gentile and the Jew, God doesn't see anymore. He sees children of God. The whole, the whole concept of who the chosen are is now re-examined. You receive Christ, you are chosen. You receive Christ, you are chosen. You are a holy nation, set apart for God. This is who we are. This is who we are. I'm trying to take away this thing that just because we are not Jew, we are infiltrating into, in, into a family that we don't really belong to, this has all been re-examined here. We are children of God, not subpar, not any different. The Jew has to accept Christ to get into the kingdom of God. The Gentile has to accept Christ to get into the kingdom of God. There is no free pass. There is no automatic entry here. Only Jesus can get you into the kingdom of God, whether you are Jew, whether you are Gentile. Whether you are slave or you are free, it's only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. And once you are in the kingdom of God, you are a child of God, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your race, regardless of where you were born, regardless of whether you were born in Israel or you were born in South Africa, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. And I pray that by the Holy Spirit that we are assured of the salvation that Jesus has so paid for. I pray that we don't think it's some, some subpar Holy Spirit that we are getting because we're not born into a specific ethnicity. I pray that the Holy Spirit assures us of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, that we are children of God. Nobody gets a free pass. It's only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is the male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, Father, we thank you. And we praise you for this amazing privilege to be called children of the living God. 
a child of the creator of the universe. Not an illegitimate son or illegitimate daughter. We are children of God. We thank you for this free gift of salvation. Free to us, but you pay dearly for us. I pray that you help us not to take our salvation for granted. That we continuously work on this relationship that we've been called into with God. That we continue to worship today the same way that we did in the beginning. With the same intensity that we had when we're still seeking you. When we first realized our dire need for a savior. Teach us not to take it for granted. Teach us not to take it for granted. In Jesus' name, amen.